The gospel according to Matthew, two parades in Jerusalem. We're looking in Matthew chapter 21, verse 1 through 11. Matthew 21, 1 through 11. Uh, most of us love to watch a good parade, right? Like to go to a parade or watch it on TV, whether it's a Macy's Day uh, Thanksgiving uh, Day parade uh, on television or the Tournament of Roses on New Year's Day in, in California. Uh, or uh, just your local Christmas parade, the local Wilson Christmas parade is always fun to go to. You know, parades can be a great way to celebrate special occasions uh, and just have a good time, just watching all the smiling faces and hearing the music and, and uh, watching all the dancers. There's all, lots of dancers in the uh, Wilson Christmas parade anyway. It's amazing how many dancers there are uh, in this area, um, uh, little kid dancers. Um, how many of you have actually been in a parade? You've particip- Raise your hand if you've participated in a parade before. That's, that's a lot of fun. There's all kinds of parades we can pr- participate in. Maybe in high school when you're in the marching band or, or with Boy Scouts or, uh, like I said, a dance studio, um, uh, a church float. We've had a couple of church entries uh, in the past for our outdoor drama that we used to have. When I was in high school, I was uh, in the marching band, a Crestwell High School marching band. Um, and uh, we had several parades throughout the year, uh, our annual homecoming parade there in Cresswell, um, uh, or various Christmas parades around the area. One year we went to Chadburn, North Carolina, to the Strawberry Festival. That was our biggest trip of, of my high school career. We spent the night in Myrtle Beach. Man, that was, that was something, uh, and uh, had, a, had a great time in that. You know, uh, in, in, our, in, in, in our high school band, the, in the percussion section, we had uh, a set of toms. Um, looked something like this. Uh, I was talking to, to Brian and asking what they called them. They, they said they called them tenors, and we called them Tim Toms for some reason. Um, I think that's what we called them. I remember wanting to play the Tim Toms. I, I played the trombone, and so usually when I was marching in the band, I'd play the trombone. But I wanted to play those things because they looked so cool. Uh, and sounded so cool. So one year, uh, during our homecoming parade, for some reason we didn't have anybody to play the Tim Toms. And so I talked my band director, Leroy Bland, who, by the way, so the, those of you older folks you, 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 who knew uh, Elton Williams, uh, Leroy was Elton's baby brother. Uh, and, but Mr. Bland, I talked him into letting me play the Tim Toms in the parade, and, and he said yes. Yeah. So I was really excited. I was going to going to get to beat that, those things out as we went down the parade that day. Um, so we got started, and as we marched along, uh, the, the percussion section plays a cadence rhythm, that, and, that, and you march to the cadence rhythm, uh, and, or, and, you, and you play this rhythm, unless you're playing a song, you're playing this rhythm all the time, uh, and it, it helps the band stay in step. Well, the Tim Toms played something like this. Doom, 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 doom. So you play that over and over and over and over again, unless you were playing a song and then you played the rhythm to whatever that song went to that song. Well, for the first five minutes, I was it was everything I imagined. Man, this is fun. This is so much fun. I, I was beating out the rhythm with the other percussion, the other drums, and the and the the band was just marching to our beat, and it was fantastic for the first five minutes. <laughs> 
But after about five minutes, I began to realize something. I began to realize that my arms were not conditioned to play the Tim Toms much longer than five minutes. Uh, slowly, this rhythm that you had to play older, over and over and over became harder and harder and harder to keep up. Uh, my arms were slowly dying, <laughs> and the drums were getting heavier and heavier as the, the parade went along. Um, I was hurting pretty bad, and I was pretty miserable uh, by about halfway through the parade. Somehow... <laughs> Uh, we, we made it through, and I made it through the parade. Uh, thankfully, the Crestwell Homecoming Parade is not the longest parade we ever... If you've ever been to Crestwell, you, it's just one street, and it's, it's pretty short. Uh, but thankfully, it, it wasn't the longest parade that we marched in. But by the end, I, I realized that my Tim Tom career had come to an end. Uh, and, and from then on, I was strictly a marching trombone player. Somebody else can play the Tim Toms. Uh, so, so participating in a parade can be fun, but it can also be miserable and painful as well. Uh, today uh, is Palm Sunday, and it's the Sunday uh, uh, each year that we celebrate a parade, a parade in Jerusalem that Jesus was in. And in fact, he was the featured entry in this parade. He was the only, really, entry in the parade. Jesus was entering the city of Jerusalem to begin the Passover celebration uh, and, and to begin his last week on earth before he was crucified. And his entrance came in the form of a prophesied parade. Interestingly, Jesus' parade was not the only parade in Jerusalem. Uh, in fact, on, on the other side of town, uh, another parade was taking place, not necessarily at the exact same time uh, or the same day as Jesus' parade, but a parade that took place in anticipation of the Jewish Passover celebration. This parade was a Roman parade. Now, at the time of Jesus' birth, the, the area of Palestine uh, was ruled by Herod the Great. Uh, this area here is, is Palestine. Um, I got Jerusalem right here, uh, and Galilee is up in here where Jesus spent most of his time. Um, uh, during the birth of Jesus, uh, time, uh, the Christmas story, Herod the Great was in charge of the Palestine area. Now, Herod was technically a Jew, uh, but he was very pro-Rome. He, he did everything that he could to make Rome happy. He built palaces for them and cities and named them after uh, uh, emperors. And he, whatever he could do to make Rome happy so that they would allow him to be in charge uh, and to stay in power. Uh, now, there was a Roman presence in Palestine, but Herod was allowed by Rome to rule there, Herod the Great. Palestine was a great headache for the Roman Empire because it was the only region in the Roman Empire that refused to participate in emperor worship, the worship of whoever happened to be the emperor at the time. Their arrogance, the arrogance of the Jews and their rebellious attitudes towards Rome kept that region in constant tension with Rome. However, during Herod the Great's reign, he was able to keep that tension under control 
However, when Herod the Great died, things changed. Herod, before he died, he had decided to give to divide his kingdom up into three sections, and he gave one of his sons each a section. He gave the north to his son Philip. Now, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago uh, up here in this area. Caesarea Philippi is the city, kind of the capital of that northern area. Um, Philip named that city after Caesar, uh, and himself. And so uh, he wanted to, his, his arrogance wanted to be recognized as the, the, the namesake of the city, but he also wanted to give honor to Rome as well. So he named that city Caesarea Philippi. That's the city we talked about a couple of weeks ago where the Pandemonium Festival took place, the, uh, the festival to Pan, the god Pan. The central part of Herod's kingdom, which is this area here, uh, where Galilee is included, um, was, was ruled by uh, Herod the great son Antipas, or Herod Antipas. Now, this was the Herod that Jesus dealt with most often in his ministry. He, he is the one who had John the Baptist executed. He's the one that Jesus faced during his trial. The southern area of G- Judea, down, down, in here, down in here, which included um, Jerusalem, um, was given to Herod's son Archelaus. While, but while Philip and Antipas had, did have some success in ruling their territory, uh, Archelaus struggled in ruling his territory. He struggled, struggled keeping things under control. And the Roman emperor Augustus replaced him in AD 6. And at that time, the area of Judea, Judea was under direct control of Rome, led by a Roman governor. And by the time of Jesus' crucifixion, the governor of Judea was Pontius Pilate. Now, Pontius Pilate did not live in Jerusalem. Uh, He and other Roman officials lived most of the year in the Roman city of Caesarea. So this is Caesarea here. that's the main, the primary Caesarea. That was a Caesarea named by Herod the Great. It's a great port city that um, the, the remains and ruins are still there. Uh, and it was named in honor of Caesar Augustus by Herod the Great. Um, so most of the Ro- Roman the officials of Judea lived in Caesarea, not in Jerusalem. Um, Pilate ruled Judea with an iron fist, and he, and he took great steps to keep the rebellious, stubborn Jews under control, and he did a good job of that. Most of the time, though, he spent his, his days in the comfort of the palace in Caesarea, not in Jerusalem. But during the week of the great Jewish celebration of Passover, when over a million Jews would travel to Jerusalem to, uh, to celebrate the Passover there, uh, Pilate himself would travel to Jerusalem in anticipation of the Passover celebration to personally oversee the city and make sure it stayed uh, in control and there were no revolts from the people, so it didn't get out of hand. Now, Pilate, when he went to Jerusalem for the Passover feast, he did not just slip in at night unseen and then show up and say, hey, I'm here, everybody. I'm in Jerusalem now. No. P- 
Pilate wanted to make such an impression on the people of Jerusalem and to all, all the residents that lived there and all the people who had traveled from all over the Roman world to come to Jerusalem. He wanted to make such an impression on them that they would not even think about any kind of revolt against Rome. What would be the best way to make an impression on the people as he came into to Jerusalem? How about a parade? A great parade taking place just as millions of Jews gathered in Jerusalem and featuring the power and the rule of Rome, including their great governor, Pontius Pilate. Here's how it developed. Uh, from his palace in Caesarea, uh, Pilate would travel down the coast to Joppa, and there he would travel west over to, down to Jerusalem here entering Jerusalem from the west side of the city. Uh, Pilate and his entourage moved along, as, especially as they were entering into Jerusalem, with great pomp and gr a great show of force as they entered the city. Uh, it, it included soldiers and banners and trumpets and heralds pronouncing great things about, the, about Rome and about, about Pontius Pilate followed by Pilate himself riding on a white stallion that symbolized military conquest. The message of this parade uh, of, of Pontius Pilate to all was to say, hey, we are Rome, we are powerful, you mess up and we will crush you. You try to re revolt and we will destroy you. That was the message of that parade. At the end of the parade, Pilate would take up residence temporarily in Herod's palace there in Jerusalem. But Herod the Great had built a palace there in Jerusalem. He would stay at that palace temporarily. Now, there was no doubt in anybody's mind what the power of Rome could and would do to anyone who would dare to challenge them. That, that was parade number one during the Passover time uh, in Jerusalem. Meanwhile, on the other side of town, in anticipation for this same Passover celebration, another parade was developing. Possibly, we don't know for sure, but possibly could have been the very same day. Could have been the same time. But for sure it was in the same time frame. First, the prep work for this second parade. Matthew chapter 21, verse 1 through 3. As they approached Jerusalem, and came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. You know, while Pilate gathered his soldiers, his trumpeters, his heralds, while he saddled his great white stallion, or one of his servants saddled it for him, Jesus sent two of his followers to fetch a donkey. While Pilate rode in, into the west side of Jerusalem with great pomp and great power, riding on a white stallion, Jesus was pre preparing to ride into Jerusalem on the east side, riding a donkey. A donkey. Now, we might be tempted to think, Jesus, why such a wimpy entrance 
If you're going to make a, an interest, why a donkey, for goodness sakes? Well, while you and I as Westerners are impressed with pomp and power and stallions and soldiers, the Jewish people would even be more impressed with someone riding into town on a donkey at that time in that place because to them, this simple parade featuring a dirty, sweaty rabbi riding a dirty, smelly donkey followed by a ragtag bunch of disciples would be an even more powerful message. To the Jewish people, it was even more powerful to them. Well, what was the message of Jesus' parade? It was the fulfillment of a prophecy that all good Jews would be familiar with. Matthew quotes the, the prophecy. Verse 4, this took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter of Zion, see, your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And that prophecy is found in the Old Testament book of Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. The prophecy reads, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. You know, these Jews who had been under the, the oppressive thumb of Rome all of their lives believed that one day God would send them a king that would rescue them from their oppressor. And they all understood how that king would arrive. He would not only be riding a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey, but he would approach Zion, Jerusalem, on that donkey from the Mount of Olives on the east side of the city. A, a, a little later in chapter 14 of Zechariah, uh, this is what it said about that king. Zechariah 14, verse 3 through 5. Then the Lord will go out and fight against those nations as he fights on a, day, on, on a day of battle. On that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, east of Jerusalem. And the Mount of Olives will be split in two from east to west, forming a great valley with half of the mountain moving north and half moving south. You will flee by my mountain valley, for it will extend to Azel. You will flee as you fled from the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah. Then the Lord my God will come and all the holy ones with him. Could it be any clearer uh, to the people there in Jerusalem that day? From the west, Rome came to oppress with its evil power and its evil intimidation. But from the east, from the Mount of Olives came God's king, God's king, their rescuer who would deliver them. Continuing in Zechariah, verse 16, Then the survivors from all the nations that have attacked Jerusalem will go up year after year to worship the king, the Lord Almighty, and to celebrate the festival of the tabernacles. If any of the people of the earth do not go up to Jerusalem to worship the king, uh, the Lord Almighty, they will have no rain. If the Egyptians people do not go up and take part, they will have no rain. The Lord will bring on them the plague he inflicts on the nations that do not go up to celebrate the festival of tabernacles. This will be the punishment of Egypt and the punishment of all the nations that do not go up to celebrate the 
the festival of tabernacles. You know, this is it, guys. This is it. Uh, Sure, Pilate's parade was impressive. Yeah, those soldiers, the horse, that was all impressive. Yeah, but when the people saw Jesus riding that donkey, they thought, this is it. Whoa, this is it. This is the sign we've been looking for. We've been taught out of our lives. Jesus, he's our king. Jesus will rescue us from this oppressor, and Pilate will be the one bowing down before him. So, in honor of their king, the people in Jerusalem gathered palm branches uh, that maybe they either cut right there in the city or perhaps maybe even brought with them, hoping that maybe something like this would happen, uh, that this would be the time that God would send his king. They lined the streets on both sides. They laid down their cloaks and their branches, and they shouted a familiar scripture from Psalm chapter 1. 118, 25 through 26. Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, who is this? The crowds answered, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Who is this? He's the one. He's the one. He's the king. He's the son of David sent by God that we've been looking for. He'll show those Romans what real power is. This is a literal picture of two kingdoms colliding together in one city at about the same time. One from the east, one from the west. Jesus on a donkey, Pilate on his stallion. Pilate with soldiers, Jesus with his disciples. Pilate with fear, Jesus with, with what? What did Jesus come with? The people were right in that Jesus was the promised king that Zechariah had prophesied about. From the east, on a donkey, the Mount of Olives, Jesus was indeed fulfilling that prophecy that day as their victorious king. They got that part right. But what they didn't get right was how this victory would happen. It it wouldn't happen on a battlefield. It wouldn't happen by some kind of political overthrow of Rome. This victory would happen when King Jesus defeated Israel and all of mankind's greatest enemy, their sin. Jesus didn't come to be served in a palace sitting on a throne in Jerusalem. He came to serve himself by giving his life for all mankind. People and kings and governors will bow down to him, but not in a throne room in Jerusalem, as so many thought. No, they'll bow down to him as he sits on his throne in heaven. When Jesus won his victory over sin by dying, and when he won his victory over death by rising from the grave, Paul tells us what happened. Philippians 2, 9 and 10, 9 through 11. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow 
in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, the glory of God the Father. One day, yes, Pilate will bow. Caesar Augustus will bow to Jesus. Vladimir Putin will bow. Adolf Hitler will bow. Every American president will bow. Every congressman and woman will bow. Every governor, every preacher, every lawyer, every doctor, every scientist, every CEO, every billionaire, every successful person, every homeless person, you and I, we will all bow to Jesus and acknowledge who he is. Every knee, every knee will bow and confess that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus is the King, not of some earthly kingdom in Jerusalem or anywhere else, but of all creation. Now, some will do it voluntarily because they had given their life to Jesus already in their life. They will have received the forgiveness of their sins, which comes with peace and joy that Jesus came to give, the promise of eternal life, the hope that they longed for in their life will be realized, and they will spend eternity bowing down, gladly, enthusiastically bowing down to Jesus, their Lord and their King. Still others will bow too, but they won't do it voluntarily. They'll do it forcefully. Finally, having no choice but to acknowledge Jesus is the King. Justice will be served for those who oppressed, who harmed, who killed, who neglected. Those in life who did not acknowledge who Jesus was. Justice will be served for them. They will spend eternity separated from God in a place of torment where the wealth and the power that they worship in life now means absolutely nothing. As we'll see next week, many who praised Jesus that day when he entered Jerusalem, one week later were shouting, crucify him, crucify him. I mean, why? How did that even happen? Because Jesus didn't fit their idea of a king. They didn't realize what kind of king he was. They didn't realize that Jesus came to defeat an even greater enemy than Rome. Their own sin. He came to establish a kingdom in heaven that each of us can be a citizen of if we simply just acknowledge that Jesus is our king. This morning, as we think about the two parades that took place in Jerusalem, that, that Passover week, let's ask ourselves, which kingdom do I choose? Which kingdom do I choose? The kingdoms on this earth? Those kingdoms that chase after power and wealth and gadgets? <laughs> kingdoms who chase after unwinnable political battles, who race to see who can be the most woke or the most conservative, kingdoms that promise success and happiness and meaning but only deliver heartache, pain, and frustration, 
that king? Do we choose that kingdom? Do we want a kingdom on this earth represented by somebody like Pilate? And his parade of power? Or do we want the kingdom that Jesus rode in to Jerusalem to establish? Jesus didn't want power. He already had power. I mean, he's the son of God, for goodness sakes. He already had all the power he could, could want and need. Jesus didn't want power. He wanted peace. Peace. Jesus said in John 14, 27, Peace I live with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. And do not be afraid. In Jesus' kingdom, no matter what happens in the kingdoms of this world, citizens of God's kingdom will enjoy peace. Because their sins are forgiven, they have peace with God. A peace that will last for eternity, no matter what happens in this life. No matter what Vladimir Putin does. Uh, no matter what the, the current or next president of the United States does. No matter, no matter where inflation goes, no matter how high gas prices go, no matter what the stock market does, uh, no matter what health issue you might be facing or face in the future, no matter what your, your job is, whether you have a job or not, how broken your family might be, what sinful struggle that you might deal with every day. Uh, uh, no matter what unrest you experience in this life, in the kingdoms of this earth, if you are a citizen of the kingdom of God, because you made Jesus the rider on that donkey your Lord and Savior, you will one day experience a peace that will never, ever end. So, which kingdom do you choose? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this parade of Jesus. Lord, we as Westerners at, on, at first glance may look at uh, a parade like that and think, what? it seems kind of wimpy to me. But Lord, it was a fulfillment of a prophecy uh, that if if we were a Jewish person, we would understand completely and we would be really excited about. And while those, those early Jews didn't understand what kind of king Jesus would be, we do today. We understand who he is and why he came and the power that he has. Not to destroy, but to save. And so, I, 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 Father, I ask you and I... I ask you to touch all of our hearts, and, and Lord, sometimes we might think, yeah, yeah, I serve that king, I serve Jesus the king, but how often do we also serve the kingdom of this earth with all the time and effort that we put into it, and, and sometimes the way we place it in higher priority than King Jesus. Lord, help us to make Jesus our Lord and our Savior. We bow down to him every day recognizing who he is and what he did for us, dedicating our lives to serving him. Thank you for King Jesus. I ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.